Hello, and welcome to Spy Hearts Podcast. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur, tossing my 2023 calendar into the fire. Let it burn, baby. Yes, we are in the future, the year 2024. This is the year that Blade Runner happens. Is it really? Yeah. Well, I gotta go, Scott. I gotta hunt me some replicants. You do, you do, you do. Uh, what, what are those questions they ask? I can't even remember them now. Oh, God, it's been a while for me. I, I'm not, like, the world's hugest Blade Runner fan. I like Blade Runner. I've seen it a couple times, but it's not a movie that, you know, occupies space in my head and I revisit constantly. It doesn't explain the amount of dolls and wind-up clocks in the background of uh, your house right now, though. That's weird. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a reference he didn't get, folks. Quite right, Cam. Now, we are continuing our tradition of saying farewell to the year that was, in this case, 2023, before we boldly venture into 2024. We're celebrating some of our favorite moments from the year that was. Now, we've got a lot of sort of questions that we tackle, uh, some stats to look at. But I think just before we get into all of that, you know, it's been quite a big year for just the two of us personally and we never really talk about our private lives too much on the show because we are spies and we like to keep a certain amount of distance but um you know this in this last year i mean i celebrated my first anniversary to my wife which is is crazy mm. uh, i i graduated from university with a with a first i didn't expect that to happen in my lifetime yeah, it's it's been going on for me yeah, I mean, I left my apartment three times this year, mm. which beats last year by once. <laughs> you haven't cleaned it, though. <laughs> no, I haven't. It's an absolute disaster. That is my 2024, um, you know, that's what I hope to achieve then. New Year's resolution. New Year's resolution. My New Year's resolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, no, in, in all seriousness, you know, this was a year where I did some traveling for the first major time since the pandemic. I'd done some trips to, you know, like Disneyland, smaller things for me. But yeah, I headed to Europe. Uh, for almost a month this past summer. And so in a way, actually, when it comes to Spy Hards, the two are kind of linked in that this was maybe the most challenging year of Spy Hards in some ways for me, just balancing kind of a somewhat busier life work balance with the podcast, right? Mm. Versus like previous years, we were a pandemic podcast. So we had nothing but time. And suddenly like this was the year where suddenly we had to kind of look at logistics. We pulled it all off. I think we had... Amazing interviews, a lot of super fun episodes, great guests on the show. But I think this year of the ones we've had so far was maybe the one that had a little more behind the scenes, you and I kind of wrangling things to kind of figure out how to make it happen. Yeah, it wasn't like we were fighting all the time or anything like that. We, we wrangle each other anyway, just for fun. Of course, yes. Uh, and we do most of the fighting on air anyway. That's true. That's true. I haven't forgotten about the Betamax. But <laughs> you also, you know, spinning off from private lives, you mentioned sort of spy hearts, you know, and we'll get into the stats. But, you know, it's been a bumper year for all kinds of things from interviews, which we'll get into to sort of some of our favorite episodes, which we'll talk about, too. But it's it still baffles me that so many of you choose to spend your time with us. And so many people say yes to coming on the show. I'm uh, forever humbled. Yeah, I mean, again, like, as we have said, this was a pandemic project where we really had no kind of, there was nothing on the horizon we were aiming towards other than, let's just have fun talking about spy movies. Like, that was our thing, right, when we started. Mm. And to kind of sit where we are now and look back, it's it's kind of crazy. And you go like, wait, like, why are some of these people on the show? Like, I don't understand. How did this all happen? This was supposed to be two, you know, dimwits goofing around about spy movies every week. Well, that hasn't changed. That's true. That part has remained the core text of what the Spy Hards is. We're consistent. Hmm. 
consistently, yeah, consistently dim-witted. dim-witted. Yeah, there you go. There you <laughs> yeah. go. But and, and also, it's interesting. Um, this episode is being recorded ahead of time, like we usually do. But it's being recorded on the third anniversary of our first ever Spy Master interview with Nicholas Meyer, of all people, all the way back in 2020. And it, you know, if I'd gone back, uh, if someone had told me in 2020 that we would be speaking to, you know. Denise Richards and Lee Tamahori in the same year. I would have called them a dimwit. Yeah, and if you go back to that first Spymaster interview, you'll see that our you know interviewing skills were locked in from day one. Uh-huh. And uh, you know there is no evolution whatsoever. <laughs> in fact, we've gone downhill since then. That's right. That's right. Most of our questions now are like, who are you? <laughs> what do you do? Where am I? <laughs> How am I? <laughs> Why am I? That's why our interviews are so short. They just leave. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of like the where we are now personally and, and with the show. But speaking of the show, the thing that we did last year that I found quite interesting was sort of processing some of the Spy Hard's stats, if you will. And I know there's some stats nerds out there uh, that like to hear all these numbers crunch. So Cam, are you ready to hear some numbers? I am indeed. Now, in the year 2020. Two, we looked at 44 films. How many do you think we looked at in the year 2023? I think it was less because of juggling things when I was away. Mm-hmm. And also, we just this year had some major interview scoops. And so we gave those kind of their own week in the schedule. Sure. Uh, and you wouldn't be wrong with that guess. It was 39, so five less. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, yeah, because we were dedicating weeks to Robert Davi, we were dedicating weeks to Lee Tamahori, Denise Richards, uh, big names like that all had their own weeks. Plus, there was two weeks where you were traveling in Europe that we put out some of our Patreon episodes onto the main feed. There's some fun episodes there to listen to if you haven't already. But yeah, so slightly less, but I, you know, I think we still tackle quite a lot of films. Yeah, and I, when I look over kind of the list, it's a very diverse group of spy films. It doesn't feel like we kind of hit the same beats. We were bouncing all over the place mm-hmm. from things like, you know, the Daniel Craig Bond films to like Leon the Professional to Five Fingers. You know, it really was kind of like uh, all kinds of spy films all roped under this year that was 2023. Well, you yeah, know, we went from American made and the Emperor's Candlesticks at the start and finished the year off with, let me have a look, The Naked Runner and Red. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that is a whiplash of tones when it comes to spy movies. And and this year also consisted of films like The Great Locomotive Chase, Mission Impossible, The Born Identity TV movie, Cats and Dogs. Some favorites, some less so. But uh, yeah, the, uh, we did tackle a lot and we've ticked off a lot of the films on our list, but there are still quite a lot to go. Oh, yeah. The list only grows. I wonder if it exceeds the amount in which we are ticking them off. Um, I don't, I mean, I feel like we add maybe like, maybe eight a year to the to the master list that are new releases. I see. I, I tend to find a lot of like older ones too that we do dredge up. That's true. That is true. Um, And I'm sure, I don't know what it would be on this list of movies we watched this year, but I'm sure there's at least one or two that we literally found mere months before we tackled them on the show. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that The Emperor's Candlesticks was on the list to cover very long before we actually tackled it. 
Well, I think Spy Ship, which is one we looked at this year, had a lot of fun with, was actually a last-minute pivot because the original film we had lined up disappeared from all streaming services. Yeah, yeah, and that does happen. We have a That's one of the frustrating things about our master list is there's so many movies on there, but when we sit down and actually go through what's actually available, there's so many that are just like sitting in the void right now. Yeah, I mean, you look at a recent example. I mentioned The Naked Runner with, with Frank Sinatra. But that week, we also had an interview with Barbara Feldon, Agent 99 from the TV show Get Smart. And originally, we had planned to do The Nude Bomb, which is the sort of Get Smart movie for you all. But it's gone. It just doesn't exist. Like, you can buy, I think there's like a uh, an Asian Blu-ray or something like that. Like, it's, uh, it's not even like English's primary language. You have to change it in the tracks. But I'm not expecting people to go and buy themselves a Blu-ray just to, you know, watch a film with us. No, and it also just to me underlines that the dream of streaming has evaporated. Because I remember hearing things about, say, like HBO Max when they were talking about launching that. I'd be like, oh my God, they're going to have the entire Warner Brothers archives, you know, that we could tap into. So all those old Bogart movies, like all those classic black and white gangster films, there's so much there. No, they don't care. It's mostly new releases. Yeah, I don't think it, it. I don't think the amount of viewers is enough to justify uploading some of these old movies. They just they just let them sit in the vault somewhere, which is a real shame. Or they float in and out, like they'll pop up on streaming for a month or two and then disappear. And it happens with like the Bond films. They're on Amazon Prime for a bit and then they disappear again for a little while. Like I, I'm not a big guy who goes around screaming about physical media, but I think this year has told us we probably should be grabbing our favorite films. This year has justified my existence in life as I gaze around at the massive shelves of uh, Blu-rays and 4Ks and DVDs, you know, around me. Your throne is built from uh, jewel cases. <laughs> I mean, I basically have the Game of Thrones throne, but it's made entirely out of, yeah, jewel cases. Yeah, sharp. Hmm, yeah. Mm. I mean, it's not pleasant. No. Not pleasant I, I, to sit in. I don't think it is. It doesn't sound like it is anyway. It sounds like a little... Uh... Heavy is the head that wears this crown. <laughs> Plastic is the head that wears the crown, I would say. <laughs> it's a copy of Spy Kids 3 on my head. <laughs> <laughs> Does it have the scratch and sniff card with it? Oh, that's four. Oh, of course you would correct me on that. Spy Kids. That's right. Fans. That's oh. why I'm the king. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. You, <laughs> you sit on that throne, buddy. You own it. Um, but uh, speaking of stats, we got some more stats to look at. Now, our, our mission is to gather the list of the greatest spy films of all time. Uh, we had put those on the knock list. Uh, last year, we had five inductees. Do you want to take an over-under on five? Um, I'm going to say five seems... Oh, like I can think of a few movies off the top of my head that made the knock list. I think it's a really close number. I'm going to say it's the same. You would be wrong. Okay. Do you want another go? Because you can still go over or under on that. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I've got four locked in my head. And I'm like, is that the only four? What four have you got? I've got Five Fingers, mm -hmm. M. Butterfly, mm -hmm. uh, Skyfall, um, and The General. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Mission Impossible. Uh-huh. So it's six, I think. Yes. Well, you're right in higher. But you're wrong in six. Okay. So here is the list in the order of how we inducted them. We started the year with James Mason's The Five Fingers. Mm -hmm. Then we had Skyfall. 
the general, the wrecking crew. Oh, <laughs> that's why. Mm. That's why. We'll put a pin in that one. We'll be back to that I, one. I think we might. Uh, M Butterfly, Enter the Dragon, Mission Impossible. Enter the Dragon, that's the one I forgot. Yeah. That's yeah. uh, a pretty solid list. Yeah, so we actually had more inductees on the knock list this year than last, which is really interesting because I didn't look at the stats for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I actually expected it to be a lesser number. So I'm actually impressed that we actually boosted it up a couple spots from 2022. This year we did 39 films and inducted seven. So statistically, we're actually doing better films per week than we were the year before. But looking at the films we've tackled, you wouldn't think that. It's definitely still been a, a, a solid mix. Well, I think when you look at those knocklist inductees, Mission Impossible is kind of a gimme. Mm. I think most people would look at that and go, yeah, and the general, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But I don't know that people would have necessarily seen Five Fingers or M. Butterfly coming. Yeah, or, or have seen them, full stop. Like, sure, or The Wrecking Crew. <laughs> or The Wrecking Crew. Uh, yeah, I can see Cam's pin, it's big. Uh, alongside the knock list, we also have the disavowed list. It had three films last year, over under Cam. Uh, it's under. I know this, it's under. You know this. Okay, well, um, what's the number and what's the film? It's one, and it was Cats and Dogs 3 Paws Unite. Yeah, that is spot on, Cam. Uh, how did you remember that so vividly? Because I actually thought it was surprising we didn't have more. Right. And Cats and Dogs 3 was so terrible, there was no way it wasn't going to make the disavowed list. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we're mellowing with age, or we just didn't tackle as many things that were truly egregious in comparison to previous years, where we had some, like real stinkers i mean i guess you know some might argue spy kids five was pretty poor but to me that was one that was kind of on the line and maybe i was like maybe i took the disavowed list more seriously this year than other years i don't know well there is that argument there is also an argument of it's maybe just personal taste because if i was talking to a different person right now you know we covered no time to die this year There are some people in the world that would be like, screaming No Time to Die should be disavowed and cast into the fires of Mount Doom. Oh, poppycock. Yeah, tell me about it. Oy vey. But also, there's a couple other ones, like Ishtar is very divisive. We, I didn't have a great time, but you liked it. No, I didn't. I didn't really like it at all. You liked it more than me. I thought it was interesting, which is what kept it out of the disavowed. Like, disavowed to me, Sure. I can't sit there and find elements of it, like, really intriguing to dive into. Mm. Uh, and I did with Ishtar, and it mostly circled around just the central performances and seeing kind of actors who are very known for one specific thing kind of swapping spots. Yeah. Like, that made Ishtar interesting to me and the director, but, like, the movie I didn't care for. And there's other ones, too. You look at films like Cats and Dogs, one, mm-hmm. uh, The Spy Who Dumped Me, things like that. What people would might consider as just sort of trashy films of course they're going to make the list of the films that were spy films of all time it's exactly the sort of thing that buzzfeed or variety would list on their list of the worst spy films of all time but all those films had interesting things going on they were trying certain things out like cats and dogs is no knock list winning film but you know the animation was really interesting and the performances were great from the cast uh you know i had a good time with it It was a fun family adventure i mean uh cats and dogs 2 is the one i think that would have the more likely chance of making that list. And I think it was just the fact we watched it back to back with Cats and Dogs 3 that suddenly we were like, you know that Cats and Dogs 2 ain't so bad. The voice cast and that was great. Bette Midler as Kitty Galore is uh, a riot. 
I'm not going to go with a riot, but uh, <laughs> you leave Bette Midler alone. Scott was just Scott was screaming with laughter. It was uh, quite concerning. He was like a patient in a lunatic asylum in like the Victorian age. I I felt like that. I felt like that after three certainly. <laughs> he was like Renfield in Dracula. Yeah, uh, the most recent version, the Renfield one, there, right? No, no, oh, okay. no. I don't know what you're talking okay, about. Okay, we don't talk about that film. Fine. Okay, but uh, that's the stats of 2023, folks. 39 movies tackled, seven made the knock list, one was disavowed. Not a bad year. No, not at all. Not at all. As I mentioned earlier, folks, we have a bunch of uh, questions and topics that we tackle in these yearly wrap-ups, which we're going to head to now. But during the discussion, you're going to hear from Spy Hards listeners around the world who have sent in their voicemails about their favorite moments from Spy Hards in 2023. So Cam, why don't you queue up the first voicemail? You have nine new messages. First message. Hello, Spy Hards. Vinny here. Just wanted to say, um, once again great year for you guys love your content i particularly loved your review of the great locomotive chase it was very interesting hearing about faz parker and the ghosted review with shayla was very funny and very good what i mainly want to say is um you guys are great people great friends and i love the community that um you've inspired online it's very nice and very welcoming and i hope for many more years of it of your friendship of your great content and of good vibes for everyone thank you Vinny, for that wonderful voicemail we are also big fans of the great locomotive chase and ghosted we were quite surprised by those and uh, speaking of surprises cam the first thing i want to talk about is our biggest surprises of 2023 so why don't you lead us off with your biggest surprise Okay, so like I had to kind of look at this one in a couple ways because, okay. you know, this is what, okay, so like sometimes when you're talking about like hidden gems, mm-hmm. the two can kind of blend together because you're like, I was really surprised by this movie because I loved it so much and I'd never heard of it. Now we get to hidden gems and I'm like, I never heard of this movie and I loved it so much. So sure. I'm going to kind of separate them. And that means I am actually not going to mention the movie that maybe surprised me the most in terms of loving it and not having heard of it. I have two movies listed, though, for biggest surprises that just kind of caught me off guard. Number one was the 1988 Born Identity miniseries. I went into that, you know, not dreading watching it. I was intrigued to see just a different take on the material, but I really did expect a very kind of creaky 1980s TV movie that I would be sitting there kind of slowly losing my patience with. Mm Mm-hmm. And that wasn't the case. I really enjoyed it. And I loved having Roger Young, the director of that film, join us to actually talk it through because you had him booked for that interview before we tackled the movie. Like, I sat down to watch the movie knowing we were going to do that interview. Sure. And I was nervous because I was worried I was going to sit and watch something where when I was done, I'd be like, oh, my God, what am I going to ask this man about? (laughs) And that wasn't the case. It was a real delight to watch. And so that was a genuine surprise. The other one, maybe less positive Mm. the Iger sanction oh i love me a clint eastwood movie i watch a lot of them i have the clint eastwood dvd box set to my left at this very moment and i mean i just didn't quite expect kind of like what a dated relic of a movie it was Mm. in its attitudes in kind of like how wonky the storytelling was it's so weird because i can usually look at clint eastwood movies and find so much to enjoy, even if they are a little bit of their time. 
this one, I was just like scratching my head through so much of it. It has a real like kind of air of toxicity around it that I'm like, oh, that's not so fun to discover. Well, working backwards through the two you just mentioned, let's go with Iger Sanction first. I completely agree. I was bowled over in a bad way about that one, especially the sort of first half before you get to the actual climbing. There's a lot of homophobia in that film. It dated is the very much the word. It is a relic of a bygone era where that sort of stuff was was okay to some. No idea why. But yeah, I was... I mean, I've seen Clint in films where it deals with that sort of subject matter better. Yeah. But obviously they have different writers. This is not the same. Uh, and we the Dirty Harry movies, yeah, for example. Perfect yeah. example. Perfect example. And it's it's a real shocker because there is a good story in that film. But there is like lines that come out of that I, I, that have stayed with me. Like the name of the dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. Oh, man, that is that is a choice. And it's 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 funny because when I posted online that we were going to tackle Iger Sanction, I remember everyone sort of saying, "Oh, well, it's a it's a good film, but watch out." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, oh, it'll be fine." Like I've I've been warned before. And then I was like, "Oh no, no, you were you were right. There's a lot to watch out for here." I've seen 1920s movies less dated than the Iger Sanction. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I've seen Nickelodeons like uh, like projecting like no sound films that are less dated than. Uh, than Iger sanction, unfortunately, but it, it still has some good moments, and the climbing is is interesting. But yeah, that was a that was a surprise. And then a uh, Born Identity, yeah, again, I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, so much so that now, I mean, we've announced it on the Patreon, but not so much on the show. We're going to start looking at spy TV movies and spy TV shows on the Patreon. So if you want some more spy TV movies like the Born Identity, uh, check over the, the Patreon links in the show notes below, patreon.com slash spyhards. That's my cheap plug of the episode. Yeah. And I mean, the thing was, this experience of watching Born Identity mm. kind of gave me more confidence in looking at things like the Tinker Tailor film and various other, you know, kind of notable spy tv events out there yeah and i mean for me i didn't go the same way as you although there is a there is a difference between the hidden gems and the bigger surprises which we'll get to uh the first surprise was more of a general surprise which is the sheer amount of train movies we looked at this year yeah it was a weird year for trains it really was. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a train enthusiast. I'm not a guy who goes to train stations and watch trains go by. But I grew up wanting to be a train driver. Hmm. Uh, didn't come to fruition. I never I never got uh, you know on the rails, or if that's what you call it. I don't know. Train folks <laughs> let me know. You're going to be run off the rails with that jargon. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Well, they say you get your wings when you become a pilot. I just wonder what, like, the, what's, the, what's the railway version of getting your wings? Do you get your spokes? Conductor hat? Yeah, it's not really the same thing, but okay. No, it's not. But I mean, we all know the conductor hat. That's kind of an iconic look. It is. It is an iconic look. And, and Fez Parker did it well. He did indeed. We'll get back to him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but my biggest surprise was a film that made the knock list. We mentioned it before, which is David Cronenberg's M. Butterfly. Yeah. I think I was the biggest fan of that film on the episode. And we all voted for it to go on to the knock list. And I was just... I, I had no sort of idea what I was getting into. I'd never really watched a David Cronenberg film particularly before. And the vibe of that film is so strange and intimate and just 
it's not something we'd ever really tackled before. And so I was completely knocked back just by how interesting the story was, how well it was put together, and also surprised, if we're using the word surprised, that no one's talking about it. Yeah, that's partly distribution in that it's just not a movie that has that kind of... There's no criterion, you know, of it, anything like that. So maybe we need to get more of a movement behind M. Butterfly because it certainly deserves it. I think that one was maybe a little less of a surprise for me just because I've seen enough Cronenberg movies to know that even if I'd been walking into a lesser Cronenberg movie, Mm -hmm. it would still have a lot of interesting elements and a very specific style that I would at least find compelling to talk about. Hey there, guys. It's Film Grouch. Uh, Yeah, I just wanted to say, um, you know, congrats on uh, the couple years you've got on on Spy Hearts podcast. I think you guys do an amazing job. Um, I still don't know how you get all these great interviews. Um, I think the best thing that you did this year was the Denise Richards interview, especially how organic it was that it was like started on kind of like a, a Twitter feud or something like that. Um, I didn't even know what that was about, but when I listened to the uh, to the interview, you mentioned how that like came to be, and I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I just I love you guys and everything that you guys do over there. Um, thanks for st- uh, letting me stick around, even though I was kind of mean to you on the Little Nikita <laughs> podcast, where I like uh, went after you guys uh, just because I really like River Phoenix, and that's like one of my favorite River Phoenix movies. So. I know it's not for everybody, but uh, I definitely wish uh, more people would check out Little Nikita. Anyway, I look forward to everything that you guys are going to do in 2024. I'm sure you're going to have some amazing surprises and interviews and just everything. And I can't even keep up with all your content, to be honest. I am slacking a little bit, but I will be listening more and definitely more in 2024. So cheers to you both and Happy New Year. Thanks so much for that, Rick. And, you know, little Nikita does occupy a tiny spot in our hearts, I suppose. And maybe it, you know, kind of ties into the next category, which is the movie you most dreaded watching. Oh. Of which little Nikita is not one of those films. Psych. (laughs) Hmm. True. Okay. So films I most dreaded watching in 2023 this was a toughie because it was i mean you, you could just go down the sort of disavowed route right like cats mm. and dogs three i was not looking forward to watching that film okay right like it, i and, and doing both of them together two and three felt like <laughs> a suicide mission and hey we saw the download numbers it was absolutely a suicide mission <laughs> <laughs> i understand i truly truly understand where you're coming from folks we heard you no more kids films for a while <laughs> We tied a belt of dynamite around ourselves and just hurled ourselves <laughs> off a bridge. <laughs> I could say we've learned our lesson, but I've seen what we've got scheduled for 2024. Mm. But uh, I think for me, the one I, I least cared about, because at least Cats and Dogs 1 did something for me, mm. was Spy Kids Armageddon. Okay. I was so disheartened by three and four and everything I saw about Spy Kids Armageddon as far as like trailers did nothing for me. It felt like it had a cheaper budget than Spy Kids 4, which had no budget whatsoever. And it also ended up having no life to it. And so I, I was so hesitant to watch it. And I think I ended up doing a double bill before we recorded because I try and watch everything twice. I was, I was sweating about that one that how how could we stretch out an hour and a half podcast out of Spy Kids Armageddon? I don't know. <laughs> and I, I don't know we did. But uh, yeah, in terms of dreaded <laughs> watching, Spy Kids Armageddon. 
Yeah, I understand that one. And I do remember having the same thought as I was taking notes through the movie being like, do we have like an hour, a full length episode here? Like mm. this seems like we're going to be stretching it. Uh, I think we got enough of discussion out of it because you could talk about the larger legacy of Spy Kids with that review. But yeah, to me, I will probably never pick a movie I haven't seen for this category because at least it's a new experience. And I'm like, okay, well, what is this? Even like Cats and Dogs 3, which is such an obvious answer to this question. Mm -hmm. I'd never seen it and I'd watched the first two. So I was like, oh, what threads will they carry over? That might be kind of interesting to see. And you know what? I am a completist at heart. So I'm like, okay, I'm closing off the final chapter. Cool, whatever. To me, it'll typically be movies that I have to rewatch mm -hmm. that I don't have the best of memories of. Sure. And for me this year... Um, I'll start with Body of Lies, the Ridley Scott film. I saw it way back in the day, and I didn't really care for it that much. And my memory was, I'm going back to something I didn't really care for that's really heavy mm. and is going to be kind of an episode where we don't necessarily have the most fun. And I was completely disproven because that was one of the most fun episodes of the year. We had Chris Carr on for that one. And I have rarely laughed as much in an episode as we did in the Body of Lies episode of all things, which is so strange. But I also want to just note the Mechanic series. Ah. And it's been a little controversial sometimes that when we do these Hitman kind of theme things, and it's always kind of that balancing line between a Hitman movie versus kind of like a jet-setting Hitman story, which ties in espionage elements. Mm -hmm. And I remember just sitting there, and we had things like the Mechanic on the list. It's like, okay, let's just get it done. And I remember just remembering kind of the generic first Statham film and going like, oh man, like, is this going to be three entries of kind of just tedium sitting through them for the second time? Mm -hmm. And honestly, they were also three of the really fun episodes of the year. So I have no complaints about the content we got out of the mechanic, but I did not go into those, you know, viewings like with a full heart. Well, I was on the other side of that. I was very interested to see what they did and they all, they're all very different. All three of them yeah. in their own way. They're all very different. And I appreciate that. Any franchise that takes three different swings I'll tip my hat to it. Uh, that's probably one of the reasons why I hate the sequels, uh, the Star Wars sequels, I should preface, because the first two are great and the third one's just a steaming pile of... Anyway, but you you bring up a maybe a wider discussion we should probably have for a second, and that is there is a, there is a chunk of you out there that listen every, almost every episode that you can, and you follow mm -hmm. us on the mission, you watch the films, or try your best to, and then listen to our discussion, or you just tune in because you want to hear us talk about films. Either way, we love you. But there is also uh, a chunk of people that tune in for films they only know or they get back to, they come back round to. But what I find really interesting a lot of the time is some of these films that don't necessarily have the built-in audience of things like Mission Impossible, James Bond, you name your big franchise, Jason Bourne, something like that, are some of the most fun we have yeah. on the show. Like Some of our best episodes this year are stuff like Spy Ship. Yeah. I, I can't tell you why. I don't know why this happens. I think we just have maybe like a little less pressure to get it right. Yeah, I think that is an element of it for sure. And I want to just say that, you know, the Mechanic franchise became very clear from the numbers that there is an audience out there that really does enjoy Mechanic content. Yeah, who knows, Cam? Those downloads could have come from a bunch of budding mechanics out there in the world trying to look how to best improve their cars. <laughs> but moving on to our next question from perhaps... Uh, dreaded to yeah, from bad to good let's talk about best scene of the year what's the sort of scene that you look back on of the 39 films that we've tackled and go no that's the one 
that's the magic. This was really hard uh, because to me, it's like the general has like the greatest scenes in film history. Sure. So how do you say anything other than the general? Mm -hmm. But I'm going to go with my favorite here. Uh, I'm going to go with the Langley break-in in the first Mission Impossible sequence. Wow. There's okay. nothing like it. Brian De Palma is one of my all-time favorite filmmakers. And just the tension, the visual imagination, and how iconic this scene is where we are still paying tribute to it, uh, even in the new Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. And of course, you have a harness in your house that you frequently practice with. I do indeed, yes. That's how you get around the house. It's It's very cumbersome. Uh, no, I, I completely get it. I I did sort of flirt with this one myself. It is probably, of the seven films that went on the knock list this year, it's probably one of the best, if we were ever to hold them up against each other. And then you go, like, what's the best scene from one of the best ones? Is it that, or is it my pick? Hmm, okay. Which is the mirror room fight between Lee and Han in Enter the Dragon. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, that's a fantastic choice. Uh, what's the what's the saying from the film? Destroy the image and you will break the enemy. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I went back and watched it when I was writing this. And I was like, that is... For 1975, the cinematography is, is on point. It looks stunning. And you've never seen anything like it at that point. I know The Man with the Golden Gun had come out a couple of years before, or maybe the, the year before this, which has a mirror fight, but nothing at this level. No, it's true. I mean... You go back to the Orson Welles film, Lady from Shanghai. It has an incredible mirror sequence, which inspired this one. Mm -hmm. But it feels like with Enter the Dragon, they're upping the ante. They're not just saying, let's pay homage to that. They're like, how do we do something even more technically daring and to do such an elaborate fight scene, incredible. And we would see it, obviously, um, you know, someone else try to raise the bar in John Wick 2. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's probably a callback to this. I mean, if me and you were fighting in a mirror room, we'd probably both break down and, and cry at the sight of ourselves. <laughs> we'd be convinced that they were like carnival mirrors because they'd be so distorted. And we'd be like, that's not what I look like. And they'd be like, yeah, 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 right. Uh, trick mirrors, sure. Yeah, the janitor <laughs> just walks in sweeping behind us like, there's no trick mirrors in here, kids. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, oh. And then he goes back to whistling Goldfinger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Greetings, Spy Hearts. This is uh, Eddie Coulter from Rome, Georgia. Uh, I like to say I really love the podcast, and I especially love the fact that there's major love going on for one of my favorite childhood movies, Condor Man. I also reached momentous occasion this week by catching up on your back catalog, so I feel very spied up and ready for more. I'm looking forward to seeing what y'all bring us in 2024, and I look forward to hearing y'all next year. Thanks. Eddie, 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 thank you for that voicemail and thank you for the Condor Man love. Certainly an interesting and perhaps crazy film from a few years ago. But speaking of crazy, Cam, craziest scene of the year. What was the craziest scene? We looked at the best. What is the most insane moment that we looked at in 2023? Well, it's funny that Eddie mentions Condor Man because that's a movie filled with crazy scenes. Absolutely mm -hmm. filled beginning to end. And so... That kind of like raises a bar that I can't meet this year. Sure. Um, but there was two that jumped out to me. Um, one was just the um, musical scene in Cats and Dogs 3. Run, oh, run, no. run, cut. <laughs> because I couldn't be bothered writing a song. So that one kind of jumped out. But that one, it's will it really stick in my head like five years from now? I don't know. The scene I ended up going with 
<laughs> is the sexy bomb making scene in the fourth protocol. Oh wow. Which is okay. the scene where it's uh yes, um Pierce Brosnan as an assassin with his female accomplice and the two of them like building a bomb mm. and it's all kind of like steamy and there's heat. And I just remember watching the scene and being like, this is absolutely bizarre and I am here for it. I mean, have you ever seen Ghost, folks? Have you ever seen the pottery scene in Ghost with Patrick Swayze? Imagine that with a nuclear bomb instead of some uh, clay. Yeah, no kidding. And Joanna Cassidy was his um, accomplice in the film. And she's someone who's popped up on the show a couple times now. Mm -hmm. And I mean, talk about two actors like in sync with a very weird moment. No, they both look great. I would uh, watch that scene again. I'd watch that film again. Uh, it's certainly a crazy scene, but I'm not sure it's as crazy as mine. Oh, okay. Proceed. I thought about Fez Parker for a while. <laughs> I do every day. <laughs> well, you're wearing your coonskin cap, so that's uh, that's that's all you're wearing. I uh, wish you'd put more things on. but Well, Scott, basically a month from when this episode comes out, I'll be back in Disneyland and celebrating Fez Parker in style maybe taking a canoe ride or two see now i have a i have a mission for you because i'm going to see you in las vegas in the summer can you get me a fez parker official coonskin cap from disneyland i have looked and the answer is no they don't sell them no they don't sell them anymore oh it's a bummer that's interesting yeah that's strange yeah. okay well surprise me see what you can find <laughs> but it wasn't fez parker unfortunately it was Richard Chamberlain. Oh, in The Born Identity. Can you think of the moment? That's the question. Is it him running with the kids on the beach? Absolutely is. I did not think <laughs> we would have a training montage that ends up with Richard Chamberlain frolicking with a bunch of 10-year-olds on a beach somewhere in France or Switzerland. I, I absolutely baffled by the choice, and I think it gave me one of the biggest laughs of the entire year when I was watching the film. <laughs> it felt like an homage to Rocky Two. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it. I was like, I don't know who this Jason Bourne is, but clearly, you know, when you're going into something like this, you're worried you're going to replicate the beats of the other film you watched, which, of course, the Bourne Identity film with Matt Damon is so legendary. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I saw him running with those kids on the beach, any concerns were out of my head. I was like, okay, we're on a whole other journey here. What's the Rocky song he's training to on the beach? Is it Hearts on Fire? Oh my god, no. Uh, it's Eye of the Tiger, isn't it? Is that in two? I thought that was three. No, okay, so the beach scene is in three, but uh, in two it's him running up the Philadelphia steps with the kids all behind him. Yeah, okay, so we're adding two things together there. Right, okay. Let's just go with the... I'll, I'll do a cut at some point of Boy Identity, Richard Chamberlain to Eye of the Tiger. Oh, no, it wouldn't be Eye of the Tiger. It would be him on the... Oh, you're going to put the Rocky Three music onto that scene? Yeah. Oh, it's getting it's getting confusing. You should just do the Rocky score, the gonna fly now. Okay. That's like the Rocky Two scene. I'll do that. I'll make it happen. Don't you worry, folks. Okay. Uh, I do. Who? Let us know what you think of the are your favorites out of these choices. By the way, folks, we're just sort of saying what our favorites are, but uh, you let us know what you think. That's right. Hi, Spy Hards. It's Andy Lancelot. Thank you, Scott and Cam, and all your guests for the excellent entertainment and inspiration to maybe try films I wouldn't have thought about before. Keep it up. Have a great Christmas and a superb New Year. Diolch yn as we say in Wales. All the best for 2024 and hope it's full of new missions and expert tradecraft. Thank you. Thanks so much, Andy. And actually, you should know, I am actually part Welsh. So you know what? We can both be sending out messages 
from Wales with love. Um, so one thing, you know, you say, just thank you for making so many spy movies. And one of the things that's so crucial, I think, to the success of the show, at least for me personally, is discovering hidden gems. And it's easy for me to say, guys, watch Goldeneye. It's pretty good. But when we find a movie that's kind of obscure and are able to put it out there and really make spy fans pay attention, that's really, really gratifying. And this year, there's some great examples of that. So, Scott, why don't we start? What was your hidden gem of the year? Well, I, again, I'm cheating, and I know people listening screaming at me. I have two. So maybe we'll whittle it down to one. We can decide between this. But they both have their reasons. The first one is the Kate McKinnon, Mila Kunis film, The Spy Who Dumped Me. Mm-hmm. Because I went in with no expectations whatsoever, right? And, it, and I knew it wasn't a particularly beloved film. It was something I post about and not hear much about it. People hadn't really seen it. Bit of a bomb at the box office. Yeah. Bit of a bomb at the box office, right. But I, what I got was a great camaraderie between the leads, some really funny moments, some fantastic stunts courtesy of Gary Powell from you know the James Bond film, stunt coordinator and uh, second unit director extraordinaire. Yeah, really up the ante with that film and did more than I think you would expect from what many would uh, think is a throwaway spy rom-com. Well, the thing is, too, I mean, not every movie that's beloved by spy fans is a five-star masterpiece. Sure. You know, you can look at something like... Octopussy. Well, <laughs> I was going to say if the contrast to that, something like Goldfinger. Everyone can kind of agree for the most part that Goldfinger is one of the all-time great Bond films and one of the great spy films of the 60s. Mm. But that doesn't mean there's people out there who don't love, you know, a Matt Helm film or a sure. Flint film. Uh-huh. Things that would maybe get like three-star reviews if you're to look up, say, like Critical Consensus or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean these movies don't have a place and they can be really loved. And I think that The Spy Who Dumped Me kind of falls into that. Is it as good as like, you know, M. Butterfly, a movie you mentioned earlier? No. But it's a movie that I could see deserving some popularity the way that, say, Jumpin' Jack Flash does. We get messages from people who say, oh, I love watching Jumpin' Jack Flash when it's on TV. I think that The Spy Who Dumped Me totally deserves to be kind of one that people revisit over and over again. Absolutely. Or just just check it out. Get over that sort of, oh, I heard it wasn't very good when it came out and just try it for yourselves. But on the other side of that, I imagine a film that people, none of the people listening to this film were around when it came out, which is Tonight We Raid Calais. Yeah, yeah. Hidden gem, if I ever did see one. It's basically a war propaganda film, World War II propaganda film, right? And we've seen a lot of those on the show so far. And they, you know, House of 92nd Street, good three-star film, nothing really much more than that, okay? Somehow, this film has stuck in my mind scenes of this film the scene at the end with the women looking out onto the ocean wonderfully lit the shot of um the guy from uh, 12 angry men i forget the chap's name looking lee j cobb lee j cobb looking up from the third level to the second to the first like just like some fantastic cinematography and it's no wonder that quentin tarantino called that one of his favorite spy films it deserves your attention Yeah, and it was one that completely caught me off guard as well. And just some of the tension going on in that film Mm -hmm. and the intrigue, I was consistently on the edge of my seat. And this one actually was my runner-up for Hidden Gem. Okay. Which, who'd have guessed? Again, that is a movie, total shot in the dark. When Scott and I are looking at a schedule, we basically pick a movie that's very obscure and are like, okay, plop that one in. Who knows what it is? Mm -hmm. And Tonight We Raid Calais really rewarded that kind of approach we have, where we can be completely bowled over by something and really enjoy it. So, yeah. 
Really fun movie. But the one I went with was Five Fingers with James Mason. Right, sure. I fell in love with this movie. It was directed by Joseph Mankiewicz. And I'm familiar with Mankiewicz, and I've seen a lot of his classic films, but I'd never really heard of this one. And to see James Mason playing this guy who's basically smuggling secrets out and gets himself more and more and more caught in this trap of his own making. This has great Hitchcockian suspense. It has one of my favorite funny moments of the year, which is basically where someone is like, hey, where did he go? And they just look out the window and you see James Mason like running across a courtyard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and an ending that was just a crackerjack ending. This movie made the knock list. And if there's anything I would like to draw from this year going forward, it's that we kind of get some noise going for Five Fingers. And who knows, maybe there could be like a Criterion release or some sort of specialty release. You just want to get us on the bonus features. That's all that is, right? That'd be great because I think this movie is unjustly ignored. There's a lot of spy movies we tackle that we like mm -hmm. that don't necessarily have huge reputations. But you go, I kind of understand why. Um, this is one where I go, why is this not a movie that is acknowledged? It should be. Given your standards, and I think I probably would have agreed if I thought of Five Fingers, uh, that being my choice too, I'm going to say tonight we raid Calais is my choice. Mm, yeah. And I think if we if we say, because one thing I always I used to laugh about online when I speak to people is people know us as uh, the Condor Man guys or uh, <laughs> one of our dinosaurs is missing, that sort of thing. We're known for those sort of obscurities. I want us to be known for these two films too. I want us to be known as the Five Fingers champion, which is a weird. <laughs> I don't want to be referred to that, folks. Please <laughs> apply that one only to Scott. <laughs> yeah, now I said it out loud, I, I kind of regret it. Hello to Spy Hards, Agent Scott and Cam. This is Agent Becker, aka RV Movies on Twitter, X, whatever it's called these days. Um, just a quick message to congratulate you on a bumpy year for Spy Hards. So much amazing content and interviews. Um, just a quick message to say how much I really enjoyed your interview with Julian Glover. Absolutely fascinating from Bond, Star Wars, Indie, the man has done it all. Um, I even bought his book off the back of your interview, it was that good. Um, the range and breadth and depth was just really incredible. Um, just keep up the great work. Um, looking forward to even more spytastic content uh, in the new year. So this is Agent Becker signing off. Bye bye. Thank you, Becca, for the wonderful message. We loved our chat with Julian Glover, too. It was probably one of our best moments of the year. But speaking of best, one of the biggest questions we have to tackle now is the best movie of the year. Because there's seven films that made the knock list, but I think we need to probably say there is a, a champion of the seven. Yeah, this was so difficult. Because I basically, I have two movies written down. The best movie of the year and my favorite movie of the year. Okay. And so it is a locked in combat kind of decision for me as to what to choose i will say my favorite movie of the year is mission impossible the brian de palma film it just has so much and i had an absolute ball recording that episode with you and just breaking it down and geeking out over my love of de palma mm -hmm. but i think the best movie of the year is the general the buster keaton film it is just wall-to-wall -wall, breathtaking innovation and we had a great time recording that episode with David Lowbridge Ellis from License to Queer. And we talked a lot about the historical importance of it and just were blown away at the action filmmaking of that movie. But I saw it some months later at a live event where they played the movie and had a live organ score underneath it. And I mean, my sister and I attended that. They had a Q&A after. And to see it on the big screen with a packed audience 
like there was probably like close to maybe like 800 people in the room, maybe 500, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And they were all basically on the edge of their seat and absolutely into what that movie's doing. When you are an action film from the 1920s and you can have an audience at rapt attention in 2023, then how do I say you're not the best movie of the year? I have an admission to make. Mm, okay. I had both films and they were up against each other as well. Interesting. Yeah, it's hard, right? Like, I almost feel like when you have something like The General thrown into the mix, mm-hmm. it's hard to not give it the award. Like, it stood the test of time. It has proved itself as one of the all-time greats. How do you not choose it? I can answer that question, and I can give you a very solid answer as to why I picked the other one from you. Okay. So, I think The General is probably, because you said favorite and best, which we haven't got a favorite question. Maybe that's something for next year. Is The General my favorite thing I watched this year? Potentially so. But we're making the best spy movies of all time, right? That's the knock list. I'd say Mission Impossible is a better spy movie than The General. Not that The General isn't one. So if I'm going to say the best movie, the spy hards movie of the year, you have to take into account, is it a good spy film? How much of a spy film is it? Yada, yada, yada. So it's going to Mission Impossible for me. But if I'm going to put a post online that says our favorite films of the year, Cam is the general and Scott is Mission Impossible, I'm very happy with that. Yeah. And you know what? I can co-sign that because I am kind of in the same boat where it's like, well, you can almost blur the line between the two because we love both of these movies so much. And it is a little bit of that, at least for me, a little the historical pressure mm. of the general. And, you know, you you got to say Mission Impossible is very influential, too. So it's not like uh, that movie is, you know, really falling short in that race. It's just that the general has had so many extra decades to build up steam, as it were. Oh, boy. <laughs> hey, guys, it's Parv. 2023 was another fantastic year spent with Agent Scott and Agent Cam. Thank you guys for being the voices for all your diehard spyhard fans. I just wanted to let you guys know I appreciate your unique way of bringing insight, joy, and laughter to your podcast. You guys are definitely here to entertain, as well as providing important knowledge and thought-provoking interviews for the Spy Hearts fan base. It's great that you guys are working hard to maintain that valuable connection with past pop culture icons from the Spy universe with today's Spy Hard fan base. Wishing you guys both the best for 2024. And by the way... Ladies, ladies, Agent Cam is single and ready to mingle. So give him a jingle. (laughs) Scott, when we started a spy movie podcast, I was hoping for engagement from the listeners, you know, some back and forth about Bond or Bourne. I didn't expect things like that. (laughs) I didn't expect it, but I welcome it with open arms. If we want to pivot this show into pimping you out worldwide... (laughs) I am all for it. Parv, I am on this uh, mission with you now. Never mind the knock list. Never mind the uh, disavowed list. I am on the uh, get Cam a partner list. (laughs) Oh, my God. What is 2024 going to be for this show? Um, I'm scared, Scott. I'm really scared. (laughs) Ladies, ladies, ladies. Do you want a man that is reliable? Tick. Do you want a man that will do editing until one in the morning? Tick. Do you want a man that will watch 1930s war propaganda films (laughs) with you? Tick. Cam Smith is your man.
What war are these propaganda films in the 30s about? <laughs> I should have said 40s, I, I admit, but thanks for calling me out on that. Yeah, because I'm the one with the problem here. <laughs> so anyways, um, you know, Parv thanked us for our service in kind of creating a community and getting the spy movies out there. Maybe the ones like the hidden gems that people don't necessarily know about. And that is one of the great things about this show for me is discovering these movies and kind of spreading the word to all of you listening to the show. But, you know, every now and again, we stumble across an obscure movie that evaporates from our minds seconds after we watch it. So, Scott, you've created a new category this year, the most forgettable spy film. Why don't you lead? Well, to give you my answer, I need to preface as to how I came up with the question. I need to give you the story. Yeah. So I'm filling in the other questions. We have a little questionnaire we fill in with our answers to the questions. And I was looking through the 39 films. Oh, I should mention that earlier. It was it's the thirty nine films. Oh, the thirty nine steps, the thirty nine films. I love it. Perfect. Yeah, we should have thought of that earlier. But hey ho, there it is, folks. The thirty nine films, Spy Hards. Maybe next year we can pay tribute to the Five Fingers and have the five films. It'll be a really easy year for us. <laughs> it's very very slow year. Not a lot of editing for you. You're very happy with that. That's right. Getting cramp in your hand. Uh, <laughs> so I was looking through the list of the thirty nine films, and. One thing I could say about 38 of those films is I could remember something from them. <laughs> yeah. This film, I thought about it for a whole like two or three minutes. And I just thought, <laughs> I cannot remember a single scene from this film. So much so that when I did think of a scene, I realized that scene was from a different film. <laughs> okay. Before you say what it is, I have two titles listed. But there's one I think you're going with. So I will just say ding, ding, ding if you nail what I am thinking and what I have written down. Oh, there's a lot of pressure on me now. Okay. Yeah. I went with Body of Lies. Oh, that is so not the movie that I was thinking. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Well, it's, it, do you know what? You said it earlier. The Body of Lies discussion is one of our best episodes of the year, I would say. Like, it's funny, insightful, there's a lot going on. I couldn't tell you a single thing about the film. I don't remember who's in it, what the plot was. I know it was six months ago, but like I can tell you stuff that happened in The Emperor's Candlesticks pretty vividly. Me too, yeah. Uh, I can't tell you what. What was the body? Who lied? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, to me, Mark Strong's performance is kind of what sticks with me in that one and some of Ridley Scott's direction, but it's not... Uh... Chris Carr came on to join us for Spy Game. You know, mm -hmm. the previous year. Sure. I remember the events of Spy Game very well. I don't necessarily remember the events of Body of Lies. Okay, so we're on the same wavelength there, but I'm actually fascinated now as to the film you thought I was picking. Okay, so this falls in the train category, and oh. I had Sleeping Car to Trieste, <laughs> where I literally had to sit there and be like, what the heck happened in that movie? And I could remember people throwing <laughs> suitcases out of a window of a train. Uh-huh. And I remember they were like looking for a diary or something, but it's interesting when we look at some of these old spy films, like the really forgotten ones, like Spy Ship, for example, or Tonight mm -hmm. We Raid Calais, they stick in my memory. I know to some people they may feel like they kind of blur together, but for me, they really do have distinct vibes, mm -hmm. each one of them that we discover. Whereas this one, I was just like, was it a comedy? Was it like a thriller? I don't remember. It really is just completely vaporized from my mind. So I have to go with Sleeping Car to Trieste. But I did have a runner-up, which was Penguins of Madagascar. I remember there was penguins. I remember there was spy jinx. But 
Don't ask me to give a synopsis of that movie ever. I understand both picks. Uh, I could tell you the thing is, I could tell you sequences from both films. Like I remember the card game in Sleeping Card to Trieste. What? <laughs> there was a card game. It's a whole like <laughs> card game with four people, and it's like the pivotal moment between because there is that journal going around, like you said, and there's like they're facing off against each other the antagonist and the protagonist and two other people in this like delicate i think they're playing like rummy or something or bridge Bridge or something like that maybe yeah maybe rummy but like i i remember just commenting on like this is the uh it was this the the template martin campbell was working with when he did casino royale who knows (laughs) uh and i remember the guy who was like trying to chase all the girls around the train ended up with their hat boxes at the end oh was that the dad from mary poppins no, that was the like young soldier boy. Oh god. Who was reading like every American magazine he could find. Okay. It's a, it's all a blur. It is. That that train went past you too fast. It did. It did. I slept through sleeping car to Trieste, <laughs> it seems. <laughs> <laughs> I I actually when I was traveling tried to take a sleeping car to London uh when I was going to meet up with you and uh the railway um uh, booking system was terrible so I ended up flying, but what could have been Luckily, my company put you to sleep. Mm, that is a, that is true. I did catch up on that sleep, yes. There you go. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Calling all agents. Keeping the lights on at Spyhards HQ ain't cheap. And frankly, nor is feeding the school of attack piranhas. So we need your help. Roger that, Scott. Only at the Spyhards Patreon can you gain access to exclusive shows like Agents in the Field, which tackles non-spy films starring your favorite spy icons, and The Debrief, where we channel our inner solitaires and predict how the big spy movie news of today will impact tomorrow. So make like a Treadstone agent and activate your Patreon membership at patreon.com slash spyhards today. Cam, tell the people what we have in our sites this week. Scott, 2024 is here, and what better way to celebrate than by listening to the December content on the Spy Hard's Patreon, such as reviews of Die Hard 2 and the French Connection, plus the debrief, where we looked at The Pigeon Tunnel, Chicken Run 2, and a whole lot more. But before this message self-destructs, Cam, resume the spy chinks. Now, whilst I regret bad-mouthing Body of Lies a little bit there, and trust me, Chris, we loved having you on if you're listening, we have some regrets to talk about, Cam. Knock-list regrets. Mm. Last year, we pointed out that we have some regrets about, funnily enough, another Chris Carr film, Spy Game, which we didn't put on the knock-list, and I think looking back, we probably maybe should have picked a different answer to that question. Is there anything we regret about our choices for this year? Um... I feel maybe less conflicted this year than I think last. No, you know what? I felt okay with Spy Game. No, you know what? This year was worse for me. And um, I did have a moment where I, I made a note like, are we going to feel iffy going forward about No Time to Die not making it? Just because of the significance it has within the Bond canon? Mm. Maybe not. I don't know. Time will tell. But... Um, the movie I chose was The Wrecking Crew, which I fought very hard to keep off the knock list. <laughs> and, you know, John Cork, love him to death. And he gave a fantastic argument for why The Wrecking Crew belonged on the knock list. And it was the kind of argument that was so much fun that I'm like, you know what? Hands up. I surrender. I give up on this one. But I guess my regret is not so much that a 
subpar Matt Helm film made it onto the knock list because I did want some Matt Helm representation. It was more the regret that like, you know, something like The Silencers is not a great movie, but but I would have preferred The Silencers on the knock list over The Wrecking Crew ultimately because I think it's a better Matt Helm film. I mean, you're echoing exactly what I have to say. And, you know, you talk about uh, John Cork, the wonderful John Cork's uh, speech he made to us to try and implore us to put it on the knock list. And I, I appreciate him putting it out there. What we learned from this is that I'm an easy mark. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah, I can be bought and sold very easily, apparently. Uh, I completely bought his argument. And I will say, of the Matt Helm films, I think it's the second strongest. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like for me, it wasn't. So there's a little more conflict maybe with me yeah, over okay. that. But there's also not much you can do. And it does fall into this weird category that you and I have stumbled into, which is like when we tackle some of these like 60s kind of Bond homages, mm -hmm. that they don't measure up to the high caliber of a lot of the things that make the knock list. And so yeah. you find yourself maybe looking at some of the well we did put our men flint on the list so that one did make it through but sometimes when you watch these 60 ones you're like well this is just kind of goofy silliness this isn't something to be taken as knockless material but they do speak so specifically to that era that i don't feel necessarily bad about having wrecking crew on the list especially with it appearing in once upon a time in hollywood mm -hmm. it obviously has a legacy but when i look at the overall matt helm film series you know it's kind of the curse of the way we do the knock list but I would have, in retrospect, preferred the silencers. I, I I agree. I think I probably would have gone with the silencers too. Had I known what I was getting us into in the future episodes, and that, that's one of the the sort of problems of doing it film at a time and not doing a whole like retrospective on the whole series is you can only look at the body of work you have in front of you and move on from there. But one thing I think is is maybe not fair sometimes is to sort of try and measure up some of these films to the other films like we did a, a knock list off on our 100th episode special we sort of put the knock list winning films up against each other and found the best at that time and that's that's fine but sometimes it's hard to compare five fingers to say on a majesty's secret service yeah in terms of filmmaking very different films very different budgets scale scope it's all very different, and it's hard to sort of put them up against each other and say one's better than the other because they're both very good at what they do. And I think for what this does in terms of like a Bond comedy spoof with... like It's very much a Matt Helm film is very much a vibe, and that is a vibe that is felt in other genres around the 60s, not just in the spy sector. There are other films that have that sort of hangout, chill, laugh vibe. Like think of the beach party films, things like that. There is a There is a certain type of film here, and I think... I think The Wrecking Crew is a great example of that. I think the, the martial arts in that film, courtesy of Bruce Lee, are fantastic. And it has a lot of things to say, like you mentioned, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But the regret is, I think if I could go back and change time, you know, like Quantum Leap style, and leap back into my own body back when we recorded The Silencers, I would have done a yes and probably implored you to do the same. But it is ultimately just a statement that the Matt Helm films are not great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they are fun in their places but they're more interesting as historical artifacts in some ways than mm. they actually are as movies you can sit and rewatch over and over again in 2023 and how disappointing of a quantum leap is that to go back into your own body <laughs> and to like adjust a knock list <laughs> yeah that's uh, yeah that's uh, is it sam is that the guy i think so yeah scott Bakula. yeah 
And then you've got Dean Stockwell popping out with his little like zoop, 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 zoop machine. So he would be coaching me through it, pretending to be myself. It wouldn't be a very interesting episode of Quantum Leap. No, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. Perhaps it would have been from the new series. <laughs> R.I.P. Yeah, quite so. Hello, Spy Arts. It's your good friend here, Luna, or Mystic Luna 7 here on Twitter, or Mr. Cold Luna 7 on Instagram and Freds, here to celebrate the new year. Let's start by looking back in January, which had L- Rosie Carver from Live and Let Die, otherwise known as Gloria Hendry, as your second interview episode of the year. Now, we're in March, and we're starting with one of the best episodes from Spinals of all time, the Denise Richards interview, which baffles me of how did you get her on the show, which is, but yet again, magnificent. Then was one of the first episodes I mainly listened to, the Julian Glover interview, which is, has one crazy coincidence with Topol's death, sadly. Now in September, one amazing interview with Robert Duffy. Wow. One of the best Bond villains and one of the best Spy Hard episodes of all time. Incredible. Loved every second of it. From when I first listened to it that morning to when I finished it that night. Magnificent episode. Well, we've just gone past Leon the Professional, which I've watched for the first time in preparation for the episode, and loved the episode because of that, which I say thank you for making a great episode, and thank you for making such a great year of spy entertainment for us all, and remember, peace and love. Luna, thank you for the message. It's clear you love our interviews, and frankly, so do we. So let's talk about it. What was our favourite interview of the year? I mean, I think there's probably one that's going to win this, but I'm keen to hear what you think, Cam. This was brutal. Absolutely brutal. This was a banner year, I think, for Spy Hard's interviews, in that I got to talk, you know, thanks to you, booking them all and making this all happen, but to so many behind-the-camera people. And those are kind of my favourite interviews, where we really do break the movie down to nuts and bolts. Mm-hmm. And go through the making of. And like, you know, we had Lawrence Guterman on to talk about Cats and Dogs. A movie you may not think like, oh, that would be an interesting behind the scenes. But it was. It was almost a two-hour taking it from, you know, conception right to release. And how that movie came to be. Those are the kind of interviews I really enjoy. So I'm really like torn between talking to my heroes Mm -hmm. and talking to the people who played just the biggest role in making these movies happen. And so I find it very frustrating to balance them. So like, Scott, I really am struggling with this because I'm looking at the list in front of me of what I have here. So I'm going to like, maybe just say that like, it was an absolute pleasure talking to like Denise Richards, Julian Glover, Gloria Hendry, Nancy Kovac, Barbara Feldon, a lot of these icons of mine. Mm-hmm. that I just, you know, whether I grew up with them or later in life just fell in love with them as spy icons, an absolute joy. I think, though, the one I'm going to go with was Michael Frost Beckner for Spy Game. And it's because it was so insightful 
And the way we broke that movie down to pieces and analyzed each decision, things that changed along the way, what the original versions of this, what the different cast could have been, that's the kind of stuff that makes the film nerd in me really geek out. And I did consider Seth Lockhead for Hannah, a movie I also love. Even David Iserson, who co-wrote The Spy Who Dumped Me, really took us on a journey through the entire process of making that movie. But I think when I look at kind of the list, I had to come down on Michael Frostbeckner. It's interesting because I have said in interviews before, as in people who've interviewed us, my favorite thing to do is the interviews with the crew. Yeah. The production staff, the people who make the films, the filmmakers, the people who actually want to create films. Not that actors don't want to create films, but they want to act. And I get it. And I think of the examples you just listed, I would, I, you know, I think Michael Frost Beckner was, was definitely my favorite of the year. I, I would also tip my hat to, to Seth Lockhead. Me and you are massive fans of the Saoirse Ronan film, Hannah. And that was one of the earliest reviews we did. So to get to speak to the man who came up with the concept, came up with the script and saw it all the way through to production was a real sort of like, not like ticking a box, more like a, a sense of achievement. Like we've got to the point where we can speak to him. Mm-hmm. And again, it just heightened my appreciation for that film. But you talk about lightning rods. You talk about pivotal moments in a history of a show. And this is not to say that we're groundbreaking here or anything like that. But you know, we see the back end. We see the numbers. We see what spikes interest in the show. And one person stands head and shoulders over everyone else. Mm-hmm. And that's Denise Richards. Yeah, you know she is. I think of of the actors and actresses we've had on the show, and there's been some big ones, Jacqueline Bissett, stuff like that. Big, big time actors that have been in big, big, big films. She was the one who I felt the most trepidation going into. Mm-hmm. She's the only person that's ever made you put a buttoned-up shirt on. <laughs> True, and. Not to say that I'm not proud of all the other. Just this year, you mentioned you know Gloria Hendry, Julian Glover, Robert Davi, people like that. Big names in Lee the Lee Tamahori. Lee Tamahori, big names in the Bond circles. Denise Richards for me just felt like it was someone that was plugged into my youth, plugged into some of my favorite films like Starship Troopers and stuff like that, and I was genuinely nervous. Mm. So nervous that I tripped over the intro, right? Yeah, and that doesn't happen. Like I've all these other people you've mentioned, I didn't want stumble. Mm-hmm. I, I was genuinely hesitant going into it. And I, I think, judging from the reaction we got from people listening to her, I think we landed. I think we stuck the landing. I think we did a good job. And I think she, I mean, she even said thank you for it and wrote to us afterwards saying thank you for a you know, wonderful chat. She didn't have to do that. And so I think that has to be my pick. My favorite, and I think I think you would all agree, was one of our best is is denise richards and and if that is the highest we ever get in terms of guests i'm happy that that is that moment we we're the only people to ever get to do that and that's that fills me full of joy yeah this was definitely like the bombshell interview for spy hearts like to date Mm -hmm. news coverage website coverage yeah loads yeah and it was very exciting to know that one was coming because mm-hmm. we didn't mention it, because it was like a real back and forth. Is this going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Let's not talk about this to anyone, because we don't know what's ultimately going to result from this kind of back and forth to make this you know, interview a reality. And then we recorded it, and then it was like, sit on it. Don't mention this. Don't mention this. Mm-hmm. And so we got the excitement of just 
announcing to the world that this was coming and that was so much fun it's so tough with interviews because it's the balance of the ones that are the most insightful which you know that's why i went with michael frost beckner because i just got so much insight that changed the way i will watch that movie going forward sure but then it's like there's the ones like denise richards who are telling very personal stories about their experience making the movie but don't necessarily change the way i watch the world is not enough mm -hmm. and you know you talk about you know you're nervous in that one i was kind of nervous as well and like there's so many different elements you can say like what was the most fun interview you had who was the person that you just had an absolute ball you know, doing an interview with. And for me, that would be like Ivana Milicevic, mm -hmm. who came on to talk about Casino Royale. That was like, to me, just an absolute joy of an interview to take part in. Barbara Feldon was also really warm and inviting and fun to talk to. But it's ultimately kind of trying to balance when you have a best interview of the year or favorite interview of the year, what category are you going to go with? And I chose Insight. Well, and speaking of, of Insight, you know, there's there's ones that I've gone back to, but one specifically I think about in our back catalog of, of spy master interviews, which is Fred Skepsi. Mm, yeah, who yeah. Did the Russia House, and again, like that one came in. I think post our Russia House interview going live, like that was a very last minute thing that we managed to do. That didn't even come out the same week in the end. But he taught me things about making spy films that I'd never noticed, and I've looked at spy films through the prism that he taught me in that interview since that day. Mm -hmm. And that's that's impactful. And that's just me, not the thousands of people listening to it. You know, like I, I can only speak to my lived experience with it. And, and so I'm so grateful that we get to do that. And this is also, I, I will add, I didn't mention it in the stats. The biggest year for spy master interviews we've ever had. We did the most amount of interviews in one year this year. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm so thankful the people have said yes. We've already got some stuff lined up for 2024 that you're going to absolutely love. Some of them are already in the bag, but I won't spoil it. It's going to be another bumper year, I hope, and I hope people keep saying yes. Yeah, and I mean, even we got a little creative, and we did one with Mark Altman about his book, you know, the um, the oral history of James Bond. Nobody does it better. And you guys were there for that one, and we had a lot of fun doing interviews like that. So. I think like, you know, the spy master interview may evolve over time, but this was a big year to kind of build off of. And as we move forward, look back on and go, what worked and what did people really love? Hey guys, it's your third agent Shayla here. I just wanted to say Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. I'm so proud of you guys for the incredible show that you've created. And I'm very proud to call you my friends. Um, and I just wanted to say my favorite moment spy hard's moment this year was definitely uh when we picked on paul giamonte in the ghosted episode because i really needed a laugh and cam really delivered and it was hilarious i hope you guys have the best 2024 and i will talk to you later this message will self-destruct now well shayla thank you very much for your voicemail and if anything it has only caused my ego to expand like the Grinch's heart, many, many times it's original size. But Scott, we know Shayla's highlight. What was yours? Well, it's funny. I looked back on the 39 films, which I love saying now, and I had a couple of things that jumped out to me, but I think nothing made me belly laugh so much that I had to push the microphone away from my mouth <laughs> than the Paul Giamatti moment. I'm bang on with Shayla there. I think... For a film that didn't necessarily get as much attention as some of the other films this year, Shayla brought the heat with that one, and we had a great discussion about Ghosted. 
I think it's more interesting than the film itself. But that moment with Paul Giamatti is well worth revisiting. Is going to London after meeting someone on a first date romantic or stalker material? Oh, stalker. Stalker, stalker, big time. Stalker, stalker. It is unforgivable. And the only reason this movie is able to skate by on it is because he looks like Chris Evans. Had you had Paul Giamatti in that role, <laughs> <laughs> which is always my go to for some reason. And I'm sorry, Paul Giamatti. I'm looking forward to the holdovers. I'm sure it's great. But yes, you swap out those actors, and this is like terrifying. <laughs> No, it's true though. You're absolutely right. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I want to just say to Mr. Giamatti that I said in that episode that the holdovers look great. And Scott, it was great. One of the best movies of the year. So um we poke fun out of love, and Mr. Giamatti, you always deliver. Well, Cam, you paid your ticket to the holdovers, you can say what you want. That's right. So Scott, I can't pick my own moment to be the highlight of the year. That would be um, insane. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that because I, I wondered if you would, but then I know your ego well enough that you wouldn't. So I'm curious to know what you picked because I felt that moment was so strong. So, okay. The way I had to look at this was when you go through our interviews, how do you pick the moment of the year, right? Like mm. that's insane. Like and I have done that in previous years. I think I picked uh, Nikki Nade's reveal that he had the push dagger sure. from our interview last year when we did the 2022 wrap up. So this year, it was like, I really struggled because there's so much with, you know, everyone we interviewed and just all the movies. I went with a very personal choice. Okay. And this was my sister coming on the show and the two of us getting to fawn over Fess Parker for an extended period of time. I'll play the clip now. Fess Parker has so much like dignity and authority in those moments that's why you hire fest parker you do not hire him to be your charismatic action hero you hire him to give homespun wisdom that everyone nods their you know heads in uh, solemn appreciation but also the calmness and consistency that fest parker <laughs> <laughs> scott's just shaking his head I, I, do you know what? At this point, I'm I'm almost on board just so we can get to our destination quicker. If we can just all just get the Fest Parker out of our system and then move on to other things. I don't know. This moment for me, Scott, this was like kind of like every household is insane, right? Like there's madness mm -hmm. when you put personalities together. And my sister and I, this is our madness being released unto the world and i have rarely laughed harder and thought back on more than that moment where my sister pops in and starts going on about how the coolness and the composure of fess parker and we just break before she can even finish the sentence and i have a a memory of this moment that no one else listening does which is the visual of you on the camera looking so befuddled and i'm sure thinking this episode has completely jumped the tracks i have no idea what's going on these two are waxing poetic about a very stiff leading man but we had an absolute ball and my sister and i have laughed about this since and being able to have the opportunity for the two of us to geek out about all these like obscure kind of creaky old disney movies was just absolutely wonderful on on one hand, I was so pleased to facilitate 
you and Janine to have a, a safe space to talk about Fez, you know? Yeah. But from my point of view, I I just didn't get it. So befuddled is the correct word. And I, I completely understand. But what I love about that moment looking back is I know that I share it with every single listener that listened to that episode. Mm. They were all sat there completely confused with me. Yeah, It's like when you go to a foreign country and don't understand the language and someone engages you in conversation and you have to just be like, uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. Well, my sister and I both speak Fess Parker. That's all. That's the main takeaway from 2023. Well, it's just a shame you can't get me a, a coon skin cap from your visit to Disney World, Cam. But uh, maybe I'll hop aboard the Fez Parker Express at some point. Maybe. We can always hope. We need company, Scott. There are dozens of us. <laughs> But, you know, and clearly one of your most valuable players of the year was Fez Parker. Mm. So we come to the ultimate question, the Spy Hards MVP Award. Who is our MVP of the year? Last year, the award went to the amazing Peter Laurie, who I think appeared in like four films in one year for us. Yeah. Coincidentally, it wasn't planned and just sort of blew us away with his performances. One man, slight spoiler there, uh, jumped out of that uh, for me in 2023 had far less appearances but the performances we had were astounding but i want to hear from you first cam who was your spy hards mvp of 2023 so this was so difficult because i feel like peter laurie kind of defined mm-hmm. last year for us and so i'm always trying to look at who defines the year of spy hards in discussion and like we had some amazing episodes about the daniel craig bond films yep and so how do you look past the fact that like No Time to Die and Spectre and Skyfall, those episodes were not only like very popular, but we had a great time making them. And I really am very proud of how those episodes turned out because sometimes it's challenging when you take on something like No Time to Die. What do you have to say about this movie in this particular moment that's going to basically stand alone as this episode to go in the archives? Mm-hmm. And I was really happy with that episode. Um so I guess I'm split, Scott, because I have Daniel Craig listed and I have Dean Martin listed for the Matt Helm series because you and I, on kind of like a Fess Parkerian note, became absolutely obsessed with Dean Martin where, <laughs> I mean, not only did we talk about three of the Matt Helm films in 2023, mm-hmm. The Silencers was last year, um, we also were watching Rio Bravo on the Patreon we were looking up Dean Martin facts. Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven as well. That's right. Yeah. And then also we were in Vegas talking about Dean Martin. So I can't say that 2023 wasn't in some way defined by our discovery of Dean Martin. And we also, just to add a little bit more Dean Martin frosting to your point, we also asked several people who came on for interviews that sort of worked around the same time as him or or, or sort of swum in the same uh, ponds about Dean Martin to get stories. Yeah. Robert Davi told us a Dean Martin story. Barbara Felden told us a Dean Martin story. We can't get those stories anymore because Dino is no longer with us. But we can live vicariously through others. And Nancy Kovac as well told us about working on The Silencers. So I think Dean Martin was the choice, right? I won't surprise anyone with this. It was exactly my pick too. It's tough because like Daniel Craig, you know, Bond is always going to loom large, but I kind of like to think on Spy Hearts, we recognize the people that aren't necessarily the ones carved in granite. I always say James Bond is the beginning 
It's like your entry drug to spy movies. It's not the uh, the zenith. It's not everything. It's not the be all and end all. There are lots more things to enjoy. Lots of flavors of ice cream out there to partake. And this year, I have been enjoying filling myself full of Dean Martin ice cream. He and not only <laughs> that, my Spotify Wrapped, which is a service that wraps up your most listened to music, was full of Dean Martin songs. Yeah, I have been listening to the Rat Pack mostly Frank and Dean most of this year. Even in Vegas, we almost planned to take a trip to Dean Martin Drive just to get a photo with the sign. How nerdy are we? Yeah, there's also that statue at the golf course we need to track down as well. Yeah, I, I don't want to join a golf course with a $1,000 entry fee just to get a photo with Dean Martin, but I did consider it for a few seconds. If we win the lotto or the Patreon absolutely explodes, <laughs> then we are headed to that statue. We'll make our own. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. He's my pick too. Dean Martin is the Spy Hards MVP of 2023. Everybody loves somebody sometime, but we'll always love Dean Martin. And speaking of MVPs, we want to thank you all for sending in the voicemails you've been hearing throughout this section of the show. And we have one last voicemail for you. My name is Owen Ling, and I'm delighted to be joined by some of the James Bond actors to discuss our favourite episodes of Spy Hearts. So, Sean, let's start with you. Oh, Spy Hearts? Uh, well, I did rather enjoy their one on the Bourne identity. Oh, I thought the one about the cats and dogs was a pretty good one. Don't be ridiculous, George. Clearly, Leon was the standout of the year. Oh, I enjoyed the one with Brigitte Miller. Such a delightful guest. Don't ask me. I don't know. I didn't listen to any of them. Which is your favourite, Owen? This is Owen Ling. We've spoken a couple of times on Twitter and you came to a James Bond Ireland thing. I just want to say that your pod on Leon, c'était très très bien, c'était merveilleux, c'était un grand spectacle. Félicitations. Leon was an excellent film. Uh, it's, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Luc Besson. Eric Serra is excellent, although his score on Goldeneye was regrettable. I just want to say keep it up, lads. There are too few Bond or spy podcasts out there. I, I admire the ambition of trying to get as many spy films as you possibly can. It widens the net. People can be too Fleming or Le Carre-centric. I think what you're doing is excellent, and I wish you best of luck in 2024. And uh, do your best. Wow. Thank you, Paul, Owen, and the team at James Bond Island for all your support over the year. And thank you, everyone else, for sending in a voicemail. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, Cam. We've just received an extra message. <laughs> it's like 1960s computers, like... <laughs> <laughs> spitting out paper <laughs> it's the spy who loved me wristwatch that the uh it's just coming out <laughs> like the uh the little tape there <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, exactly i'll I'll read it like that too da -da -da -da, stop <laughs> or is it the billion dollar brain <laughs> oh brain 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 power it could be it could be that hopefully it doesn't get put through the uh falcon and the snowman shredder at the end We've connected a lot of spy movies in about 10 seconds there. <laughs> it's what we do. It's what we do. Well, this one was sent in to us via email, and here we go. Hi-ho, spy hards. This is your not-so-special agent stuck in the corners of Slough House in a galaxy far, far away. Just wanted to take a bit of time to say a massive thank you for all that you do for the spy community. From reviews to interviews, I've gained so much insight and plenty more laughs, not only into the genre we so dearly love, but just when it comes to filmmaking in general. Every episode is one I really look forward to, and I continue to look forward to in the new year to come. 
But that's not all. Included in this secret message was a list of... It reads like a demands list, Cam, like a, like a ransom note. It better not rival my demands list. Well, I, I, I've seen what, uh, what your demands are, and frankly, I can't meet them. But let's see if we can meet these. From five to one, here we go. Five more Mission Impossible films and maybe another roundtable when all is said and done, question mark. Well, I can spoil that. There'll be certainly more Mission Impossible fun in 2024. Yeah, uh, the roundtable may have to wait, but it will come one day for sure. There might be a different roundtable this year, though. Hmm. Who could mm. say? Mm. Four, some spy comedies along the lines of Spy and Johnny English to keep up the team morale. I love that idea. Uh, I think that'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number three, how about one of those special episodes placing the main character into the story of another? Got to change things up to keep the enemies guessing. I think this one calls back to our live episode we did many years ago. Oh, my God. Well, um. I mean, if we get booked on some sort of live event, 100%, because uh, we don't want to burn off the really good movies on those events, so we have to get creative. Who knows? Who knows? They have asked us to return. I just... Uh, we're busy. We're so tired. Yeah, we're, we're so tired. We're so tired. <laughs> we do it for you. We do it for you. Cam does it for you. Number two, some animation. What better way to channel the spy energy than to go undercover as spies in disguise? Yeah, um, we do have some animated movies kind of lingering over us. Spies in Disguise, the Boss Baby movies, and also Cars 2. And there's also like a really obscure one called like Freddy the Frog or something like that uh, that we will look at. So yeah, maybe it is time we finally tick one of those off because uh, it is kind of strange we've made it this far without tackling one. You're forgetting, of course, everyone's favorite, Sergeant Stubby. Oh my god. You know what? As soon as I said that, I'm like, wait a second. We talked about Penguins of Madagascar this year. <laughs> And did, didn't you bring that up in your forgettable films list too? Ding, ding, ding. Uh, <laughs> confirmation right there. Um, and you know what? Ghost in the Shell was animation too, but a little more adult. Uh, there's definitely some more like family-friendly animation we can tackle. And the final request. A film that's near and dear to little bookworm me, Alex Ryder Operation Stormbreaker. Whether or not it passes Spy Hard's threat assessment, I eagerly await the mission report. Cheers from L, codename Zora Allens, signing off. Well, thank you so much for that. And uh, as for Stormbreaker, yeah, uh, it's funny. Like, I feel like I'm too old and have absolutely no concept as to what Stormbreaker is. And yet people bring it up from time to time. And I always am like, what, that obscure family movie that no one knows? Maybe it's just like in North America, we're not as in love with Alex Ryder. I don't know. I mean, I can't say much about myself either. I'm not really familiar with it. But... Operation Stormbreaker is on the master list, so you never know what's going to happen with Spy Hards. We keep you guessing every week. Yeah, for sure. It is on our master list, I'll say that. Well, thank you, Agent L, for your secret communique wherever you sent it from. Again, thank you to everyone else who sent in their messages. And I, I come with more flowers because I want to send some thanks to people that help behind the scenes on the show. From Hannah, who does the artwork, to Doug Astley, who does the music for the show. Again, also the previous guests we've had on over the last year and all of the people that came on for interviews. Each and every one of them, I want to thank them all for the time they spend to help us bring the spy jinx to you all. And also thanks to anyone who stepped in for me, handling interview duties, you know, co-hosting with you. And that did happen a couple times this year as well. And also, yeah, just to all of you out there listening, 
you know, this show can be a lot of work, but every time we get, you know, feedback and response, it does make it worth it because it is a labor of love and it's great to know there's people out there who love it back. Absolutely. And the last thank you I have really is for you, Mr. Smith. I want to thank you for all the work you put into the show and you've only gotten on my nerves a couple of times this year. We keep most of our fights on air, so don't worry, folks. There's no drama behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, thanks back to you as well for all of your guest booking and social media stuff. But I mean, when we started this show, I just never dreamed I would be talking to people like Barbara Feldon or, you know, so many of these Bond luminaries. So that's all your hard work. So thank you. I remember a conversation many moons ago where you said, just get me one Bond girl and uh, <laughs> look where we are now. And that was when you booked Rachel Grant. And I was like, okay, Spy Hearts is done. See you later, folks. <laughs> We've peaked. Signing off. We've <laughs> Yeah, peaked. we're done. No, well, it's been an absolute pleasure the last year, the last three and a half years for, with you, Cam, with you all listening at home. But for the first time in the year 2024, the question goes to you, Mr. Smith. What have we got coming up next week? Well, Scott, we had the 39 films in 2023. And, you know, that connects to the 39 steps. So why don't we go back to star Robert Donat, of course, the legendary star of that original Hitchcock film, who made in 1943 a spy caper called The Adventures of Tartu. I know nothing about this movie, but I look forward to watching it. It's a complete blind watch for us and probably a blind watch for all of you listening at home. But what I can say for you is it is available on YouTube at time of recording. So it has that going for it. And maybe this will be one of the hidden gems of 2024. Whoever knows. Well, we'll find out next week because, folks, your mission for the first time this year, if you choose to accept it, is to join us as we take a look at 1943's The Adventures of tar 2 and if you like what you heard on this episode please consider supporting us over on patreon that's patreon.com slash spyhard there's a link in the show notes below some very affordable price points and it all goes to paying for the overheads of the show and keeping us on the air so every little bit of support helps and we have over 50 bonus episodes for you all to peruse if you come over and join us and if you don't already make sure you follow us discreetly on social media at spyhards that's s-p-y-h-a-r-d-s on facebook twitter and instagram but until next week listeners you'll find cam and i walking the streets of las vegas looking for dean martin <laughs> So I would say that, you know, just because of the fact the mechanics spawned a franchise, that's kind of his thing. And, but has he done anything else of, of, of major note? Yes, the great Santini, which I just mentioned. <laughs> oh, I, well, it's just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, okay, it's, it's the lack of cinephile in me. You're like, well, the great Santini, Scott. And I'm like, and? That's his most notable film. Oh, so it's not like Coda, isn't I should know that film. It's just that that is. I've height. never seen it. Okay, right. Yeah. I thought that was one of those like, well, Scott, the it's on the Criterion Collection. You should have it. It's very acclaimed. Sure. <laughs> I don't know how to reply to that. Okay. <laughs> Scott, I want your thoughts on the Great Santini. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, put a, we'll, put a, we'll put a pin in this and then go Zantini up and I'll come right back to you ah okay <laughs> <laughs> you prick you sent me right down the path there I couldn't do anything <laughs> ah. <sighs> uh-huh.
I thought about Fez Parker for a while. <laughs> I do every day. <laughs> well, you're wearing your coonskin cap, so that's uh, that's that's all you're wearing. I uh, wish you put more things on, but well, Scott, in like a couple months, maybe. What was that? There's a porta potty outside. Someone was slamming the door coming out of it. What? Okay. I guess construction. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, Scott, basically a month from now, 